Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate, Grantham. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. This week on the Farming Programme, more on the concerns and challenges around our water situation. How can we build resilience and protect the future? Data, planning, collaboration, communication, engagement and funding are all areas that we will be continuing to work within. It's Easter Sunday, so we'll hear from the Lincolnshire Agricultural Chaplaincy. And as we nudge gently towards summer, how are we going to respond if we have as many wildfires as last year? Lincolnshire National Farmers Union has driven a project to put new adapters on fire appliances, which enable them to access water courses better. Plus crop and market reports and prices, some timely agronomy advice and the weather for the week to come. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello and a very happy Easter to you and yours from me and mine. I'm Steve Orchard. We've spoken several times about the Pickups for Peace initiative where farmers are taking surplus pickups and 4x4s to Ukraine. There's another trip in about 10 days' time and it would be great to get some Lincolnshire farmers involved this time. Interested? Email pickupsforpeace at memus, that's M-E-M-U-S, pickupsforpeace at memus.com or message at pickupsforpeace on Twitter. Let's talk water again, this time from the viewpoint of building resilience for the future. Kelly Hewson-Fisher is the NFU's National Water Resources Specialist and joins us this morning. Morning, Kelly. Can we briefly look back at last year and can you give us some idea of the challenges ahead and what's planned to confront them? So good morning. Um, Absolutely looking at water resources going forward. We had a drought last year So some of the uh, records were broken in terms of temperatures that we saw, but we also saw a prolonged dry period and that impacted agriculture and horticulture across the board. So we saw impacts on fruit and vegetable growing, on cereals, uh, sugar beets, but also on the livestock side as well. Going into this season, we are really keeping a, a watchful eye on the weather to see what occurs We know that most of East Anglia and Devon and Cornwall are still in drought status. Our concerns or our challenges very much are about getting water to where we need it to ensure that we can provide that access to water for growth. So the NFU have put together their um, horticulture strategy and access to water is one of the 10 building blocks to growth. So looking at how we can build resilience into our sector, certainly there are a number of key areas. Data, planning, collaboration, communication, engagement and funding are all areas that we will be continuing to work within to ensure we can build that resilience. Some of the more practical things, we look at building soil health. So we know that increasing the health of our soils, increasing soil organic matter, improves water holding capacity. Looking at technology, so the different types of irrigation equipment that can be used to make sure that it's the most effective and efficient that it can be. And then going into things like building reservoirs. So looking to capture water from surface waters, groundwaters when it is there, and then holding it in a reservoir to be able to use it when we need it. So there is a toolbox there of options that we need to to look at to ensure we can build resilience into our sector to support the growth that we require. Yeah, because we always seem to have too much or too little or it's in the wrong place, don't we? We're never happy, 
Steve, are we? We're never happy. And I think going forward, you know, looking at how can we cap the water where it does fall and how can we put an infrastructure in place to get it to where we need it? So I remember one of the internal drainage boards in South Lincolnshire telling me that in the winter of December 2020, they pumped out 10.5 million tonnes of water to sea. So the purpose of the internal drainage boards is to manage water levels to ensure that we don't flood. But how could we capture that water? How can we store it? And then how can we actually get it to the areas like North Norfolk, which doesn't seem to get much much of the rainfall as, as the rest of the country? So the national framework has set up five water resources regional planning groups to look at a multi-sector approach to water resources planning in the future. So we're certainly working with those groups to look at how can we work with, for example, the water companies, the industry, the power sector, to ensure that we can all collaborate and put those solutions in place that work for all of us whilst still protecting the environment. On a practical farm basis, does things like capturing, harvesting rainwater help? Certainly. So if you look at capturing rainwater from buildings, even from polytunnels, so where you know water is landing on any surface and capturing that and storing it and reutilising it certainly does support your water requirements. And we also have to think globally where we get our fruits and vegetables from, where they're imported from. They're some of the most water scarce areas in the world. So if we look at southern Spain, for example, you know, when we look at the data there, we do have an obligation and responsibility to ensure that we can support growth in the UK and move that water to where we need it rather than relying on imports from those water scarce countries. Kelly, where could we go for more information about uh, all these projects? The NFU website, there's lots of information on there. So for our members, the Environment Agency have done a number of webinars and the recordings are on there. There's lots of useful information on the programmes that the Environment Agency are currently undertaking and working on, which could have an impact on abstraction licences going forward. So you may want to just have a look at those if you hold an abstraction licence. So whilst in the UK, agriculture is responsible for 2% of the abstracted water, we do hold 65% of the abstraction licences. So do have a look on that website for more information or do contact myself. I'm more than happy to take any questions. And that'll be nfuonline.com. Kelly, thank you very much. Brilliant, thank you. Let's have a walk through the fields now with our crop doctor, Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Good morning and a happy Easter to you, Sean. Yes, good morning, Steve. Happy Easter to you too. Looking forward to putting my feet up for the rest of today because if you can't have a rest on Easter Sunday, then when can you have a rest? So we say it every year and this year is no different. Looking at what you did and when you did it last year by calendar and then basing all your decisions for this year on that information is a complete and utter waste of time. And actually, you're asking for trouble. We're now where? The 9th of April and very few people have got drilled up. There was plenty more spring wheat and spring barley went in the ground, obviously, in February than usual, far more than usual, thanks to a dry old do in February this year. But so far, little in the way of spring beans, peas and most especially sugar beet, thanks to the wet old do we had in March. Then after a lovely day again on Tuesday, it was back to rain again on Wednesday afternoon and Thursday, which means once again we've been frustrated by overly wet seedbeds, which are going to need a few days to dry out again. And I seem to have said that an awful lot over the past six weeks. Most of the 3,000 acres of 
sugar beet that I look after had already been drilled by this time last year. Less than 300 acres of that, less than 10% in today. All my spring beans were in this time last year. All the T0s were pretty much comfortably finished and onto the wheats by now. And there was little or no cabbage stem flea beetle to see in the oilseed rape. So what a difference a year makes. Much warmer March last year, of course, than this. And a much drier March last year than this too. Just 32 mil of rain last year compared to over 80 and almost 100 mil in most places around the county this year. And soil temperatures were a good two degrees colder throughout March last year than they have been this year. So last year was totally different to this in those respects, except interestingly, we'd had just about the same amount of total rainfall up to the 1st of April. Last year, 123.7 mil of rain up to the 1st of April. This year, 127.3, just 4 mil different. So it's not what you get, it's when you get it, as you say. But things were physically drier last year in crop terms. You know, uh, we were worrying about crops drying out, actually. And this time last year, they were already so showing signs of drought and nutrient deficiency. Because apart from three or four wet days at the beginning, of March last year and 15 mil around the 15th of the month last year it was a warm dry and hot even March last year high teens to low 20s in the late months so we saw real issues because the rain had come at the wrong time this year virtually no rain in February at all but rain 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 throughout March so calendar date farming is never ever going to be a good idea so it's Easter then T0s are now being rewritten into T1 mixtures because if it hadn't been raining it's been too windy to spray and leaf three is actually starting to prick out in some of these mid-september drilled sake and dorsums growth stage 32 quite easy to find on some of the forward wheats on main stem so as we keep saying go by growth stage don't go by 15th of march 15th of april 15th of may like some people do you can get lucky of course you know it's all about temperature and that will catch up with us and with filicron determining the speed of leaf emergence but with input costs so high surely it's better to at least try to time things as well as you can according to the crop growth stage so winter wheat and winter barley then motoring in some fields the t0 going to be another week before it goes on yet looking at the weather and the is moving so that t1 is probably going to go on a week or 10 days later so just talk this through with your advisor the saving in diesel alone by not doing that t0 may well be worth it and with septoria already starting to move in these thicker canopies and the earlier drill stuff you're probably better to be a week early for the t1 than you ever will be a week late i'm just saying T1 is the time that you want to get ahead of Septoria. The T0s are doing very little good, really, once Septoria starts to move. So maybe just discuss and get into place a plan B before it all gets a little bit silly. T0 is there to protect leaf 4. It's to dry out a bit of rust. T1 is to protect leaf 3 and protect you against Septoria and take you through to the flag leaf at T2. So cut these plants open and count those leaves. You might be surprised just how forward some of the more backward-looking crops are as well they've all had nitrogen of course water a bit of sunshine a bit of soil temperature t1's not here yet i know but you know there is absolutely no harm in making plans and getting prepared all seed rape now rushing into flower quite widely where it's still growing of course plenty of fields seem to have stopped dead in their tracks um thanks to cabbage stem flea beetle and rape winter stem weevil larvae so i really do pray that you have none of those fields so first flowering spray is now crucial to manage things like botrytis gray mold like leaf spot alternary 
vegetarian by default sclerotinia, especially in these wet conditions. I haven't seen pollen beetle reach threshold anywhere. Uh, you know, I'm barely finding any pollen beetle at all out here, to be honest. So flowering crops mean there's absolutely no need to treat now anyway. But the pigeons are really hammering some of these drowsy rake crops too that are struggling to get set off. So if you're holding the hope that your backward all seed rape is going to make it, you may want to stop the pigeon. Nab him, grab him, tab him, jab him, but stop that pigeon now. Wise words from Dick Dastardly there. As I said, spring beans, sugar beet, peas, mostly all still to go in along with some spring barleys, later drilled spring barleys. Yields of sugar beet do of course start to drop off a little bit once you get into the middle of April. But you know, what are you going to do? You'll get it in when conditions allow you to get it in plenty of years that we've seen beet drilled late April, early May yield just as well as those uh, drilled in a cold March. But once again, it's all about what the weather does next rather than the, what the weather's already done. Some people sticking the main dose of nitrogen on wheats already. A bit early, I reckon, but we see it every year. Jobs get done when the time allows and with no drilling possible and spraying something that we can only wish for at the moment, there are jobs that people want to get out of the way and that seems to be the logic. Another couple of weeks and it'll all be going and Anyway, won't it? Pea and bean weevil notching in the winter beans as well, but I think generally the winter beans are big and ugly enough to stand that little bit of notching out there. The winter beans were quite hard hit by the frost this week, and by the way, if you've still got bentazone to go on, your latest save timing is seven leaf pairs. Most of my beans are now already way past that, so do be careful and check before you go and spray to make sure these crops don't take a serious hit from damage. No swallows or house martins seen for me yet. Maybe that's the thing. I saw my first one on the 15th of April last year. With a bit of luck, maybe our fortunes will change weather-wise when those swallows come home for the summer. So let's see what the next seven days bring. Thanks as ever, Sean. Back next week with more timely and important agronomy advice and maybe Penelope Pit Stop or the Ant Hill Mob. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham. Supplying the region for over 40 years. Last year, large parts of Greetwell Hollow Nature Reserve in Lincoln were left burnt during a week of constant arsons. Fire crews were called to the beauty spot at least four times in one week, with youths blamed for deliberately starting the blazes. But it's not just arson. Overall, last year, Lincolnshire Fire and Rescue attended more than 300 extra wildfires than they normally would. Here's more from the farming programme's Charlotte Lineker. A recent report before the County Council's Public Protection Committee said that in the first nine months of last year, there had been 1,847 reportable fires. That's a significant increase on previous years. Ryan Stacey is the Assistant Chief Fire Officer and said wildfires were the bulk of the reason why. These fires are classified as secondary and include those on grassland, such as stubble fields, but not crops or haystacks. Ryan says Lincolnshire's wildfires were very different to other, more heathland-filled areas, such as North Yorkshire, West Yorkshire, Great to Manchester and Lancashire. He says this does present us with some slightly more discreet problems. We have changed the way we respond to those incidents. We are much better at mobilising resources that were previously unavailable. Also, the University of Lincoln have since been tasked with helping to look at specific risks in the county. Ryan says our response this year is going to be better prevention-wise as they're working with farmers, but that ultimately we are very much at the mercy of the weather and farmers being able to get crops in over a short time. 
time period. Lincolnshire National Farmers Union has driven a project to put new adapters on fire appliances, which enable them to access water courses better. Mark Baxter is the chief fire officer. He said we've already seen tangible benefits of that in that we've been able to suppress fires far quicker. He said this was being shared nationally and was absolutely making a difference to protecting farmers in our county. Thanks, Charlotte. Let's hope for a better year this year. Links FM Farming. Market reports. Starting with livestock and from Louth Livestock Market auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Good morning, Oliver. Morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth. Starting with the prime cattle, which see heifers sell to a top of 304 pence per kilo and £1,669 for JS Brooks and Strubby. Steers top at £1,855 for John Thirlby of Kexby and 283 pence per kilo for JS Brooks of Strubby. Just a trio of cool cows on offer saw a top for SM Kent at 222 pence per kilo or £1,373. Moving on to the sheep and a tremendous show forwards or a few spring lambs on offer to top for Messrs Chapman of Solaby Charolais at £170 per head or £418 per kilo with an SQQ of 338.59 pence per kilo. On to the hogs, tremendous yarding with plenty more trade sees an SQQ of 274.87 pence per kilo and an all-in average of 267.74 pence per kilo. Top goes to Scribblesby Farms Limited at £152 per head with more to follow at 150 Pence per kilo is topped by W Taylor & Co at 309 pence per kilo. On to the cool use, and another tremendous trade leaves an all-in average of £136 and a penny to top for Scribblesby Farms Limited at £197. Finally, just a handful of store hogs top for F Johnson & Sons at £71 per head. A huge thank you to everyone that's been supported this week, both buyers and vendors. A quick reminder that this Wednesday, Wednesday the 12th of April, is a complete on-site dispersal at Covenham St Mary on behalf of Messrs Motley of arable and livestock machinery and equipment with a sale starting at 10 o'clock and a viewing day on Tuesday the 11th between 10 and 3. For all catalogues or information regarding the marketing of stock or machinery, please do not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market and thank you. Thanks, Oliver. And with a review of the grey markets and the latest prices, Openfield's Alice Killam. Morning, Alice. Good morning, Steve, and happy Easter to all. Last week, we were talking about what we might expect from last Friday's two reports, which were released late on by the US. This seems like distant news now, but I will briefly touch on their findings. All stocks were lower than 12 months ago, and beans were quite a bit lower than the best trade guess. The recent flash corn sales to China, 3 million tonnes in 10 days, will start to eat a hole in these stock numbers. The thought is that the US may have to revise exports back up again in future reports. Acres. On the face of it, this was probably slightly more bearish, with more wheat and quite a bit more corn, at the expense of beans. As always, the devil is in the detail. For wheat, a lot of the increase is in Kansas and Texas, where the current conditions are at their worst. Moving on to the whirlwind scene this week. Having seen some good ground made last week, we were wiped out on Tuesday and Wednesday, losing any momentum that had been built. There are some obvious points here which have been with us for a little while now. Old crop futures have lost all friends, nobody wants to own them and the carry into new crop has increased. The UK has been hit harder than anyone else if you look at percentage drop. Focusing on the spread in the UK between old crop May and new crop November, in futures terms, May is now £16-£17 discount to new crop. Converted to sterling, May futures is over £20 cheaper than the French Matif equivalent. The investors in France have been reduced their net short on old crop wheat. 
There is a lot of product still to sell. The domestic buyer knows this and so has no need to chase. There is no pull from the north, as in previous campaigns, and the export market, which has been our friend since Christmas, has plentiful other offers, which means our values continue to drop to compete. Many would agree that we have time to trade new crop, but the old crop market is the main concern, as we have only four months left to trade and move it. There is a lot left and last week's target of 200, which was achieved quite readily, now doesn't seem so close. A quick word on rapeseed, which continues its roller coaster. We moved past 400 last week and yet Wednesday saw old crop motif drop 25 euros. The fundamentals of the market are obviously not great. The EU has plenty of available products and with the main crush in the UK able to access this quite easily, we are looking for domestic shorts to local feed mills and for an outside story like the OPEC one over the weekend to create some waves. In a market like the below, we certainly can't rule out an update of something similar, but our target should be reined in I think. We will run out of time here as well before we know it. One thing I think we can guarantee for the time being is the wild swings that we've become accustomed to in the last 12 months. The days of £2 movements in a week's worth of trading seem a distant memory. With this in mind, there will definitely be some opportunities. Markets will overreact in both directions to almost the tiniest of news stories. When this happens, we don't want to miss it. Prices for this week, feed wheat, focusing mainly on May onwards, but please call for spot offers. May 180 to 185, June 180 to 190, September 195 to 205, November 200 to 210, with milling wheat premiums still holding at around £60. Feed barley, May 160 to 170, July 165 to 175, September 170 to 180, and finally all seed rape circa 360 to 370, but changing daily, so please call for burn values. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks, Alice. Today, of course, is Easter Sunday, and with a special message, welcome agricultural chaplain Canon Alan Robson. Alan, good morning. Uh, you see farmers from a different viewpoint to most of us. How are you finding the mood of farmers at the moment? Oh, brilliant question. Um, I think we've still got difficulties to face. I mean, according to which sector you're in, whether you're in the livestock sector, well, that's bouncing around ups and downs, um, you know, avian flu hasn't gone away uh, for the chicken sector. The pig sector is still dealing with processor um, control and pricing and, uh, yeah, uh, import-export market causes variations in the sheep and cattle. So that sector, the livestock sector, I think, really have lots of bumps. But I think the arable sector will have its own bumps, you know, 23, 24 is the cliff edge for um, what were the support payments. And unless farmers have got their acts together with regard to replacing them with the new schemes, of which there are many, um, probably 19, um, they're going to have to um, get their skates on. Um, so, you know, the arable sector will face its own challenges Globally, as we're aware, the Ukraine war is still biting hard in causing volatility. So the whole political, social thing is a real challenge. So I think farmers are trying to keep doing what they do incredibly well, but they're fighting a whole range of external uh, forces that are not helping in, in the journey. Nobody said it was ever going to be easy, and for those who have difficulties and are finding it tough, there's the chaplaincy and there's LRSN to support. Absolutely.
absolutely, and they just need to ring. Do you have an Easter message for me? It's, it's, it almost seems like five minutes since we were doing a Christmas message, but do you have an Easter message for me? Sadly, uh, Steve, I've had quite a number of uh, funerals of farmers, and the, the reading we often use is a, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to tear and a time to mend. And, and I think the most precious resource every single one of us has is time. Um, it's such a precious gift. And I'm with my grandchildren this Easter and I look into their eyes and I think, oh, goodness me, we've just got to help you find ways of making best of your life and your time and trying to create an environment uh, that makes time worthwhile and and valuable and exciting and full of imagination and creativity. I know Charles Darwin said, a person who dares to waste one hour of life has not discovered the value of life. And I think of all the communities that understand the value of life uh, and see it physically every day uh, is the farming community. And uh, the value of life and time is such a precious thing. So I hope all our farming community grasp the value of time and the value of life because I think that's what Easter is all about. Time is precious, time is finite, don't waste any of it. Uh, but ours no. has run out. So, <laughs> Canon Alan Robson, agricultural chaplain for Lincolnshire, thank you once again for joining us and have a very happy Easter yourself. You too. All of us. The Farming Programme. Five day forecast. Plenty of rain in the forecast for this week as low pressure hits midweek. Mostly dry today though with a gentle southerly breeze and highs around 12 Celsius. The pressure starts to drop and the rain arrives tomorrow, plenty of it too. Light winds from the southwest and highs of 11. Midweek sees the wind pick up mostly from the south and gusting up to 50 miles per hour and bringing more heavy rain and turning cooler with highs around 8. And the wind eases back to the mid-teens MPH for the end of the week, still mostly southerly and still plenty of rain. Highs just about nudging double figures. Well, that's it for this week. Next time, potatoes and pigs and a look ahead to the Great British Beef Week. The Week in Agriculture, next Sunday morning from 7 at Lynx FM on digital radio or whenever you like on podcast, the free Lynx FM app or ask your smart speaker to play the farming programme. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.